You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So this is, uh, this is week four, I believe. Yeah, week four of our, of our family series uh, called Seeds, Every Family Tree Begins Somewhere. And I've repeated this first section each week because it needs to continue to sink in. Week one, we talked about the creation story establishing three core seed facts. Number one is that our origin is divine because we were created by God. This means we're not junk. It means you're not a mistake. Our capacity is holy because we were created for God, which means you are not damaged goods and you are or can be a redeemed person. And our purpose is to carry life and to give life, meaning your life has purpose. So all seed has a divine origin with a holy capacity, with a life-giving purpose. Nothing has the power to cancel or diminish your divine origin, your divine capacity, your holy capacity, or your life purpose. That That was the core of week one. Week two, we talked about roots and soil. Roots and soil. That your family heritage matters. It informs, it influences, but it doesn't determine. It doesn't determine for the good or the bad. Your right now family tree is more connected to your right now thinking and your right now decisions and your right now choices and your right now actions than those in your past or what's happened in your past. And those are those actions, those right now things are what makes up your roots and your soil. So you can't change your family history, but you can change your family's present and your family's future. You can't change the soil you were planted in, but you can change the composition of your soil right now. And you can't change your original root structure, but you can put down new and fresh roots. That was week two. Week three, we talked about making a family faith declaration that humanism is the prevailing religion of the day. Humanism preaches that we are gods. But there is no life in you and I being gods. But there is full life in us being gods. And notice the grammatical difference on the screen. Declarations, when when you make a declaration, doesn't end things per se, but what it does is it forges identity. A declaration will forge an identity. A declaration anchors resolve. And a declaration um, charts a course. It becomes something that you circle back to as this is where we planted our flag. This is where we kind of anchored ourselves in this declaration. And Joshua's declaration was, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we'll have one more week after the Seeds Weekend. We'll finish the Seeds Weekend um, on Sunday. I'll preach the last message in this uh, series. But today we're going to talk about walk the walk, talk the talk. Walk the walk, talk the talk. The text will be out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now Deuteronomy is a, is a, is a long, tedious book. And it's God's word to Moses 
to give to Israel as they're about to enter into the promised land. Now, I said last week that there was never a time, there was never a time that Israel was not in a place where there were multiple gods and multiple worship opportunities. And you and I live in the same context. There's never been a time that you and I have lived where humanism wasn't a prevailing or the prevailing religion, okay? The idea of making ourselves, making ourselves God. So these instructions that were given by God to Moses was to teach Israel how to thrive in a culture full of enticement, the enticement of others, okay? The enticement of other gods, the enticement of other lifestyles, the enticement of other, other life priorities. And so we're going to mine uh, six, nine verses, uh, Deuteronomy 1 through 9, in three segments. The first segment kind of lays this, uh, what I would call an obedience foundation. And it's, it's uh, the first three verses of Deuteronomy 6. It says, These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and their children after them, pause, he's bringing already the attention of the power and the importance of three generations. Three generations. These words will carry impact in three generational increments. You can't think just of yourself as that generation. What's gonna be passed to my children and my children's children? There's multiple times in scripture, there is this reference to the kind of these three generations and it really kind of opens your eyes to the impact, the generational impact that you can have when God immediately places on our minds three generations. He said, so that they may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Fear in relating in, in, in scripture, when it's related to God, it always means to respect, to honor, or to be in awe. It never means to be afraid of. It always means honor, respect, and awe. And he said, the, to, for three generations... I want you to teach my people what it means to respect, to honor, and to be in awe of me. So then he goes, by, here's how we do it, by keeping all his decrees, commands that I give you. This is how honor and respect and awe is given to the Lord. It's given to the Lord through obedience. And here comes this next part. So that, so here are the results, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. There will be a reward. I will assure you, with God, there is always a reward for obedience. Now, this reward, in most cases, the best reward of obedience will always be relationship. So I'm not preaching a follow these three laws and, and God gives you everything you want. What I'm saying here, the, there is a reward. Obedience always brings a word, reward of relationship. And many times it brings the just because rewards. Right? Have you done that with your kids? Have you ever given your kids something just because? Just because, right? 
Well, I guarantee you the just because was because how things had been going. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the relationship is stronger with our kids, the relationship, that bond, when there is obedience because, of, and I'll tell you about, more about obedience, but as, when it comes out of trust and not coercion. And then, but I'm telling you what, I know some of you in here, and I bet some of your just because gifts were really good. Man, I, I can't, I mean, I can, I've experienced some of God's just because gifts, but we haven't experienced the best of them yet. Just because. I think it's a pretty potent introduction. I think it's kind of why when you go to eat a cheesecake factory, they put all the cheesecake before you, before you get to the menu. Like, you know, so it's kind of like, it's kind of this enticement. Like if you go make a happy plate, not, not enough parents of young kids, I guess, or that's an old expression. Make a happy plate means eat, eat, eat what I put in front of you. That's what it meant at my house. Eat what I put in front of you. You make a happy plate, here's, here's, a, re, here's a reward. And God's on the front end. He's not, he's not diminishing how difficult it's going to be to raise a family in those conditions. He's making no bones about, about how difficult that's going to be. And this is why he gives instructions on how to do it. But then he does give us instructions on how to do it. He tells us this is going to be the reward when it happens. It's good stuff out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. I don't want you to think of obedience as a formula to success, but as a loving response to relationship and a foundation of favor. Religion is an adherence to a set of rules. And those rules aren't always connected to anything other than those are the rules that was passed down to me. Even some faith traditions, um, I know, you know, I have a Presbyterian friend, uh, uh, I don't know, he might not still be there. I, I first Pres in Columbia. He and I did a funeral together. We got connected to one another. We stayed tight together for a while. And he was showing me kind of their, their lectionary, what they preach out of and all this kind of stuff. And what struck me, I said, well, why do you think this is used? And it has, had good intention to make sure over the course of a year, the whole counsel of God is preached, right? So we don't just kind of hang on, you know, favorite soapbox passages of, of a pastor at the time, right? But unfortunately, what I've seen happen is those things, um, in, in a fear of forgetting something, put people in boxes. And so then obedience to God turns into, it turns into religion. Religion's not a bad thing. It's always been man's attempt to please God, okay? To get it all right. The fact is, we don't get it all right. So then what? Right? And so, so God is after not a coerced love, He's after a love that flows out of us, flows out of us out of obedience. And I'll get to that here in a minute. Here's now, because in the next passage, the next two verses is about loving completely. So we're laying an obedience foundation and then we're loving complete, completely. Here's four and five. Hear, O Israel. And anytime you hear hear in scripture, it doesn't mean listen. It means do. It means let's sink in. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In Judaism, this was known as the Shema. The Shema would have been taught and prayed twice a day. The beginning, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, isn't an attempt to consolidate God. 
Neither is it, as some have claimed, that it, 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 um, it eliminates the idea of a Trinitarian understanding of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. In fact, when it's used in this context, what the, the Shema is saying, worship Yahweh alone. Don't worship anyone else. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one Lord and he is Jehovah, and you're going to be presented with a lot of other options in this land. So this is why this is a concrete um, statement, dedication, that gets passed from generation to generation to generation. Worship Jehovah only. And then it gets deeper. And you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. A repeated prayer exclusive to Yahweh. The love we receive from God is a multifaceted, deep love. It's, it's why it's always amazing to me when Paul would say, I pray that you may grasp how, how, how high, how wide, how deep is the love of Christ. And he goes on to say, you can't grasp it. I pray that you can grasp, grasp something that you can't grasp. And where I've landed with all of that is I can't grasp it in the future, but I can grasp it for now. I want to be able to know how wide, how long, how deep is his love for me now. Because when your nows change, it broadens the love of God. I'll have to sink in. Because our nows change meaning they come with different circumstances, they come with different responses for us, so our now always changes. So my understanding of the love of God I have now, it's gonna grow when I get to another now. Paul's saying, you're not gonna know all the nows, but he wants you to be able to grasp the now. This is the love that he has for us. So what happens then when he talks about this, this um, multifaceted, what's the multifaceted love and layer that we're supposed to have for him? Because when he talked through heart, our heart, mind, soul, wherever that is, strength, I see it in three different ways. I called it this way first, that we're to love, love God. And I, I equated that to an emotional love. That love is an emotional trust. It says, I'm yours no matter what, love. I'm yours no matter what, love. Then we have the loyalty love. Loyalty is relational trust. Loyalty says, I will stand with you no matter what. Anybody have a loyal friend? Right? Loyal friends don't get into all the details immediately. They go, I'm standing with you no matter what. And even if when I know the details, I don't like the details, I'm standing with you no matter what, right? So I think that that has a quality of love there for us to have with the, for the Lord. And then there's obedience love. Obedience love is an act of trust. Obedience love says, I'll follow you, I'll serve you no matter what. In scripture, love for God is never disconnected from obedience to God. Never. In 1 Samuel and several other places in the Old Testament, it says, I, I, prefer, I prefer obedience over sacrifice. I prefer you to obey me and be in relationship with me than to have a broken relationship and go to the sacrificial system in order to restore it. 
that's a provision. I put it there, but I would prefer obedience all day long than the, the sound of bleeding goats is another phrase that's used in the Old Testament. Jesus said to love me is to obey me. Love of the Father will always be connected to obedience. But obedience and loyalty to God is not about legalism. It's not about forced compliance. Obedience and loyalty is about love. I love you, God. I owe you my life, God. As, and as such, I am all yours, God. Outward love is an amalgamation of emotions. It's an amalgamation of, of, of my heart. It's amalgamation of decisions of my mind. It's amalgamation of my actions and my strength. That is the whole person kind of love that God is wanting to elicit from us. Listen, outward obedience without inward love is just compliance. And compli compliance only works with leverage. The reason why you comply at work is there's leverage. What's the leverage? Every month or every two weeks or every week or every hour, you're getting paid, right? That's leveraged, that's leveraged compliance. I know if I don't comply here, then I don't get this there. That is not the kind of love God is after from you. And quite frankly, is that anything any of us really want to sign up for? God doesn't desire leveraged or coerced love. God desires inward love expressed through outward actions. Why? Because inward love never fails. But outward obedience will never prevail because it won't persist. At some point in time with compliance, we start measuring the pain versus the reward and we quit. Inward love is a recognition of how I have been accepted and received no matter what, in my worst and in my best. And because I've been loved in my worst and my, in my, my worst and my best, I will love, obey, follow, even when I don't completely understand, because I am in complete trust with who he is. This is what this is teaching. Jesus would have prayed this prayer twice a day. He would have been taught this prayer by his mom and dad twice a day. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't think about some of the stuff with Jesus, do you? You know, you think he was, he was, he was born at the, at the Ritz not, and, and the stable. And if it wasn't a stable, if it wasn't a cave, there was diffusers everywhere around, right? There was, there was many more uh, oils people in the first service, I guess. <laughs> so you don't think much about Jesus having to be raised. He had to be raised. Yes, did Mary and Joseph understand that this was going to be Messiah? But that's, I don't know, at what, at what length do they understand this? What they know is diapers had to be changed. What they know, know is food had to be prepared. What they know is he had, he had to get to Torah school. What, right? there was, I, wonder, I wonder what kind of weight would have sat on their shoulders. We're raising the Messiah. Joseph, did you forget the Shema today? <laughs> Do we need to do extra? I mean, I don't know what would have right, been, been churning up inside of them. And Jesus gets raised in this environment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Worship Jehovah only. Love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And I got to tell you, 
Messiah or no Messiah, it had to sink pretty daggum deep when he gets asked and challenged, what is the greatest commandment? And his response is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. I guarantee you, he didn't put some piece of paper out of his back pocket and go, greatest commandment. No, because for twice a day, his whole life, he heard, watched, saw mom and dad pray that prayer. And when he was old enough to start learning it, he was being taught it and modeled to him so that he would pray it until it sunk in deeply with him. The love this love completely factor has to be settled in each of our lives if we ever think we're going to pass it to any other generation. Amen. We ha it has to be in us deeply entangled in all that we are uh, saving whatever doubt there may be, be that the love of God will always supersede the doubt I have of him and his ways. Are you with me? You, you, you are not going to understand all of what God does and says and speaks and leads. We will not understand it all to that day when we're face to face with him and he does his download maybe with us. So the love that we have for him, the understanding that, that grows of the love that he has for us is what conquers all those other doubts. That is our spiritual, those are our spiritual roots and those are what produce life wherever we go. Listen, I am, I'm a big um, uh, believer in our personal responsibilities for evangelism in the arenas in which God has placed us. This is why we say fresh starts, great friends and real purpose. Because when we have a fresh experience with Christ that's being shaped in community, and we live with our eyes up, believing that we have a life-giving purpose. And then God puts us in arenas with people who need life. Does anybody live in arenas that people need life? And we are to carry, that is part of our purpose of carrying that life. But I will tell you that your family is the first stop in that. And I'm not saying build a wall and it's me and, me, and, you know, me and my kids and my wife or my husband and us four and no more. But I'm saying that this is where it all, it all starts. And so then, then how do we do this with our family? Because if you noticed, when you, when, you had, uh, when you had kids, if you had kids, nobody tells you how to do this thing, right? I mean, I, I kidded that we, 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 we knew, like called 1-800-NURSE. I mean, we had them on speed dial, when Annie was born, right? You just, especially that first child, right? The second one is a little less. The third one, you just tell the other two to take care of them. And, and I know we only have one, so I've been accused of not, we've been accused of not being parents because we just have one. Um, but Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 kind of gives us, it gives us some handles on how we are to pass, pass stuff down generationally, okay? So here he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. 
Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Notice how active all of those verbs are. Impress, talk, tie, bind, write. These are all active. They're all action generated. Our love for God is to be internal for sure, but it's not private. In order for the love of God that's internal to be generational, there has to be something public. Impress. The Hebrew really means a strategic repetition meant to leave a mark. Strate impress, right? It makes sense. If you emboss something, it's an impression. You want to make an impression. How do you make this impression? Well, in light of kind of the walk, the walk, and talk, the talk thing, I think we make an impression by, by this continual repetition of the ways of God. Now, let me just give you a, 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 a non-spiritual example. When, when Annie reached middle school, I began my teach my driver teaching mode, okay? Because they get their license around 12 here anyway, it seems, right? So, so I just turned, when I picked her up, I took Annie every day to preschool through when she drove to high school. That was my, my job. My parental job was I dropped off and I picked up from school. Loved, loved every minute of it, okay? But when she got to be 12, it was I started teaching her how to drive principle-wise. The first thing that I tried to teach her was the left, right, left approach before you pull into traffic. Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with the concept, this car will hit me first. That's the left. I want to make sure that the, this lane that's going to hit me first is clear. But I got to get in that other lane. So I'm looking right to ensure that this semi is not going to hit me. But now I've already looked left, right, left. I better look left again to ensure that I'm going to get through, right? So always, I mean, you know, you all know the tone. If you have kids, you know the tone. I know dad, right? I know mom, all right? And then one day, I picked her up from school. We were one car away from the person in front of us that was at a stop sign, pulled out into traffic, and was T-boned. Now, this is so close where you can hear the glass break. You can hear the metal crunch. And instinctively, I turned to her and said, what do you feel right now? And she says, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I said, don't ever forget that feeling. Amen. That's impress, right? So not everything you say and not every way you say it impresses. But if you stick with the core concepts long enough, there will surface this teachable moment that hopefully does not have the kind of impact of watching a car get T-boned. But I'm telling you, that's what he's talking about with this repetition and impressing on our kids the talk, the keep talking about it. Number 624 is our benediction, right? We, I do this benediction every service that Gateway ever had, has ever had. It's what God taught Aaron and Moses to pray over the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. Turn his countenance towards you and grant you peace. I've been proclaiming that over you. If you've been here seven Sundays, seven Sundays. If you've been here 1,700 Sundays, 1,700 Sundays. But I add something to that out of the Psalms when I say, and you're rising up and you're laying down and you're going out and coming in. Now, what's that about? It, it was biblical language for always. Always. I, I will bless you in this way always. 
So, so when he talks about when you stand up and when you sit down and when you go, he's saying we are to talk about God and his kingdom and his ways and his culture to find every possible way to weave it into every possible conversation. That's why he just keep doing it. He understands this, this thing. The more it's heard, the more it can be received Keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. Talk about Jesus, his ways, his kingdom. Now look, I have a pretty wide knowledge base. It's not very deep, but it's pretty wide. I can converse with most people around a lot of, the, a lot of subjects. But if I'm going to initiate the conversation with you, it's going to be more limited. Okay? If I'm going to initiate the conversation with you, I'm going to talk about my family. I'm going to talk about... Some sports, some I know extremely well. Others, I even know a little bit about cricket. Doesn't come up much. So I'm going to talk about church. I'm going to talk about y'all. I'm going to talk about Jesus. The, these are the things that are the most ingrained in me. And so when I'm starting a conversation, I talk about what's ingrained in me. You will talk about, we will talk about things that just happened, right? If, it, if there is a new experience, I'm going to talk about what's new in me. So the question I got to ask is, what are you talking about with your kids? What are you talking about with your grandkids? Because we only talk about the stuff that's most important to us. And if you want to figure out what's most important to you, listen to what you're talking about. I remember early on, Annie, Annie just thought all I talked about was money. Dad, you're always talking about money. No, I'm not. Well, yeah, you're saying we can't afford this and we can't afford that. Right? You know, she said everything runs through the money filter. And, and although that's true, right? I mean, that's just reality. I started thinking, is that, is that what I'm most communicating to her? That everything goes through my financial filter before it goes through any other filter. And I just had to think through Okay, there's probably other ways for me to respond in certain times because I, it's what I'm talking about, I'm giving this impression. But we talk about what we know best, we talk about what's fresh, and so it's a challenge to, to think about what do we talk about. So Moses is saying, in order to get this next generation to thrive in a paganistic, humanistic, dominant culture, God and the things of God have to be driven deep down in, in consistent conversation with our kids. You must know that since we are, we are immersed in culture, that we're immersed in the message of humanism, that we are gods. We are meshed in a, a pluralistic society. We're meshed in a society where truth is personal. It is not consistent. This is which we are. It's not much different than what Israel ever lived in or what first century Christianity blew up in, okay? And I don't say these things to just throw them out as, as pastoral hand grenades. This is, this is real stuff. Our Williamson County Library is doing a week called Band Book Week. Banned Book Week, and it is a, it's not unique to Williamson County, it is, a, it is a county library movement across the country to emphasize books that have been banned from certain school libraries, and all of these books 
deal with sexuality. And all of these books are geared to grade school students. And if we think that we just, we live in the Bible Belt or that we live in the Nashville, the Metro Nashville area and this is just, it's just this uh, uh, conservative um, Christian environment, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you that that might have existed when my daughter was eight. It does not exist now that my daughter's almost 25. So what does that mean? We get all up in arms about this, maybe. But maybe we have to understand that we have to keep pace. We have to stand guard and we have to keep pace with the passion in which others are trying to influence our families. We have to stand guard and keep or exceed the pace that others want to interject and influence our... I'm not talking about building a compound. You know, I, all my life, I've been a big proponent of public school. Some of that was money. <laughs> now that I think about it, you know, like, okay, we, I could, you know, we can send you to private school and grade school, but you're going to end up going to Berkeley for college, right? And so... What can I control? Well, I'm going to be more involved in your life now than I am when you're going to be 22 or 18. So here's my resources. I'm going to stay hunkered down with you through grade school, middle school, and high school. And then when you go off to college, hopefully we've done all we can do there that is going to stick there, right? But I'm telling you, if, I, if we would have had the energy or the money, we might have gone a different route. Now, so, so I'm, not, I'm not shooting you from doing it, I'm not, and I'm not trying to tell you to build the compound around it. What I'm telling you is in whatever circumstance you are raising kids or grandkids, I remember it, but what, the first person that stopped me after the nine o'clock service was a young man whose grandparents have, been, have stepped in in his life several years ago and this is a young man who would barely make eye contact with you years ago. He's just not even the same person. And with tears, this 20-something man said, when you talked about three generations, things just started happening to me because you know what my grandmother and granddad did for me. And he said, I've got this realization that I've got my kids and my kids' kids under my umbrella. I mean, there's even a passage of scripture that talks about leaving an inheritance to your kids' kids. This three-generation thing, it's all over. It's why I'm so proud of our church being generationally diverse. We have three generations in the house, sometimes four, every single Sunday. Because it's, import it's important Tie and bind. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Come on up, team. Buy them on your foreheads. Well, you just, just, just wait a minute. I don't want you to play for 20 minutes. <laughs> Tie them as symbols, because I know what time it is, but we ain't, we're not stopping then. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. What's that about? It's about identity. This is about identity. Okay? I mean, I, my Bible wouldn't fit here. Right? And I won't be able to see here. Well, 
What are we, what are we talking about? So, so what identifies you as an individual? What identifies your family? How do people, what do they know about you? It's brand, right? I, I, um, a lot of people get, get attached to brands, right? Because a brand means something. That, that's all what marketing's about, right? To create a brand to mean something that you want to be associated with that brand. The older I got, though, and I like nice stuff, but the older I got, I realized, but when they plaster their brand on me, I'm working for free. I just paid you money to be associated with your brand, but what you're really doing is trying to get people to associate their brand with you. Well, if they think that's cool, if they think that's in, or if they think that, well, I, I want to be. And so they're, they're, they're then using you to market for them because brands matter, right? And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's just a thing. And so when you read this in scripture, tie it to your wrists and put it on your forehead. And say, How are you known? Have, have we bought into the Jesus brand? Do we want to be branded by Jesus? Do we want people to know that we're Jesus people or would we rather they not know that? These are hard questions to answer. There are repercussions in our culture to be branded Jesus. Are we going to look at a narrow scope of our life on that brand? Are we going to look generationally Am I willing to take it on the chin now that I'm a Jesus follower so that my kids and my grandkids have a life in Christ? The answer is yes. And I know I got it easier because how else would you be brand a pastor? I get it, okay? I get that I don't come to work and actually if I wore another brand, it would be a problem. I get that. But it doesn't change the facts, doesn't change, it doesn't change where I went to grade school and middle school and high school and college and my other jobs. It de- That's what he's getting here, here now. Your, his brand matters. With whom are we going to be the most identified with? And with whom are we going to most identify? Will it be Jesus? In the culture, you could be sold into slavery, slavery to, um, to cover, now you can come team. You, um, you can be sold into slavery because your parents needed money. Um, and I don't mean to sound, say that cavalier. That, that it wasn't like anybody's going out and buying new golf clubs and selling their kids. I mean, this was life and death stuff. And they would sell their kids. Um, or they would sell themselves. You could sell yourself into slavery. Okay? But in those contexts, you could buy yourself out of that position or someone could buy yourself out of that position. But there was a particular context in which once you would have paid off your debt, where you could have stayed. And that would happen when there's an evaluation of the context and saying, I was much better off in this household than I was prior. I struggled when I was by myself. Here, they've cared for me like I was part of the family. And in order to demonstrate and, and show that, that, that you were there by choice and not out of a debt, 
You would run, the, 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 uh, the household, running the household would, would take an awl, this carpentry tool, put you in the door frame of the house, and you would put, pierce your ear. Who knows how big it would have been? But it was interesting because someone spoke to me after the nine o'clock service because I said, this identified me as I've chosen to be here. And he said, it also made a mark on the household, didn't it? Because the awl would have gone into the door frame of the house. That would have said, the people here, they want to be here. They want to be here. So when he's talking about how we, how we impress, how we move this from generation to generation, impress, talk, tie, bind, walk it out. It is, it, this is the pattern. When Gene and I accepted the call to plant Gateway Church and leave our church in Atlanta, um, you know, Church Atlanta was a very large church, very large staff. Uh, all of the staff kids thought they owned everything. What I mean by that is my daughter would run up and down the aisles, um, a little ramp going to my office. She, she knew where every administrative assistant kept all the candy and, uh, in each desk. And so she'd go get candy from all the admins when she was at work with me. Um, they would give her uh, maps of how to get, it was a pretty big place, so they would draw maps for her to get to place to place. You know, it was, she, it was a great place to grow up, right? And then... Um, and we move here and she wanted to know where the church was. Dad, you came here to plant a church. Where's the church? Well, we hadn't told you this yet, but there ain't one. Well, our biggest concern was we didn't want to plant a church and lose our daughter. And the best advice we were given was involve her in what you're doing. So we found ways in which to involve Annie in everything we did. Even from the get-go, when we were... Uh, certain prayers we, big prayers that we had to have answered before we moved we put them on the refrigerator and when God would answer one she was the one who got to check off that it was answered so fast forward we're here she's 8, 9, 10, 11 now she's middle school age and um, Gina and I were like everybody tells us this middle school stuff is hard and it's going to be a train wreck and we don't want it to be a train wreck and we don't think it has to be a train wreck so we're going to do something we're going to do something about it so one of the things Gina did was she put together this notebook and she just called it Scriptures for Life. And she wrote a letter that she just titled My Dearest Little Annie. And then the rest of it, there's no commentary. It's all scriptures. Here's scriptures about beauty. Scriptures about love and the heart. Scriptures about friends. This one's a long one. How many know friends are important? Scriptures of blessings for obedience. We tucked that one in a little on the back side. <laughs> blessings for obedience. Scriptures of God's will and plans for you and your future. Scriptures about fear and God's protection. Scriptures about knowledge and wisdom. Scriptures about prayer. General scriptures that just was on Gina's heart. And then scriptures around purity. So we decided we were going to make this kind of presentation. So um, 
I bought a necklace in Hebrew. It said, um, be strong and courageous. And we took her to dinner and Gina gave her the book and gave her a necklace. And um, I asked her, okay, so, so this was probably 12 now, she's double that. And I asked her this week, I said, did that, did that mean, how, what did that mean to you? Now I'm a dad, I'm an event guy, right? I'm, so I'm thinking about when we did good, I got you this necklace. Okay, Gina had spent days putting, or weeks putting this together, but I got you the necklace, you know, and, and I paid for the dinner. Um, and she said, dad, this, this was good, but this wouldn't have mattered if you guys hadn't been consistent with me. Now we're not Pinterest parents. Plenty I would go through that I would probably do again. But this one we got right. And how do you know that this starts to matter? When we started seeing scriptures in this book turn into note cards on her, on her bulletin board in her room. And when they turned into whiteboard markers on her mirror, we knew it was sticking. And in high school, she comes to us and says, I want, a, I, want a, I, want a, I want a purity ring is what they would have been called back then. I, I want something to demonstrate these are my decisions right now. She was marking herself. She designed the ring herself, a single pearl, a gold, a gold band with, with a vintage scroll. I paid for it. And she still has it. Three generations, we're all involved in raising our kids and our grandkids. And if you're a student, you're gonna, partly you'll raise your parents, but you got a future of kids and grandkids. And these are the instructions God gives on the front end, knowing completely where we're planted. Now, your kids have to make their own decisions. And I know the enemy can use a message like this in one direction and God wants to use it in another direction. What the enemy wants to do that use this message is to shame you. Shame you. Well, you should have done this and you should have done that. And look, and you'll maybe be making a decision on or making a judgment view of yourself of decisions your kids have made. That's shame. Shame will lock you down. What God wants to do is shape you. He wants to shape you. Shape frees you up. It takes your right now moment, things you can't control in your past, and you take your right now moment and go, how do I change what I'm doing now? How do I extend this to my grandkids? How do I extend this? That's what he wants to use this with. Dads, a lot of times we are the event. We are the event, event people. Moms, like I never pack, I can't even know if I ever packed a lunch to go to school. I don't know if I ever packed a lunch. But boy, I was there to drop her off and pick her up. That, that was, the partnership here matters. But I would say, I even told the men that were here last night, that leading themselves in that manner that they would come out on a Saturday night to worship together with other men was a statement of leading the family. It was, it was, it was, that, kind of, it was that kind of statement. Where's dad going? He's going where?
be shaped today. Not shamed today. We all have our own wiring. We all have our own history. But God comes in and he can equip us for our now and for our future. What will you take away today? What will you take away today? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We'll love the Lord our God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That may be what you take away today. That Shema needs to get deeper inside of you. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 may mean what you take away. How, how do we, how do I alter the consistency of what I do and how I do it with my kids, with my grandkids? That might be what you take away. But as they lead us here in our last song of worship, um, you can sit, you can stand, you can receive communion on my left and right. You come to the altar and pray. Jean and I went and put hands on our daughter. She was sitting during the first service and her hand, our hands on her shoulder and prayed. I don't know what your response will be today. You might need to take a step back and make that declaration as for me and my house. But I encourage you to, to go with what you what you feel the Holy Spirit's doing inside of you here in these last moments of our service together. Father, we're grateful to you. We're grateful for being able to gather in this room with, even if we're not like-minded, we're on the same path. And I know you have the ability to, to speak life into us in any circumstance we find ourselves in. And I know, but I'm going to ask, Lord, would you be attentive to the prayers of your people today? Would you turn your face towards this house today, your house? Hear the prayers. Respond to your kids. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today. 